0: Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to Lucha of the Hidden Temple for the weeks of May 13th and May 20th, 2015. My name is Dr. Nov. it's a pleasure to have your ear again, and this is your VoicesOfWrestling.com Lucha Underground Review. This first episode here from May 13th, oh man, what fun. We begin with Dario Queto, and he is visiting Matanza, always a good start, and he tells his brother that he has spent half of, I guess, their inheritance to find... These seven medallions. That's right. We're not going to have a Lucha Underground Intercontinental Championship or a Lucha Underground U.S. Championship. That wouldn't make any fucking sense. We're going to have seven medallions. Why? Because medallions are cool and you can't have a temple without temple penance to, I guess, give the temple guards should you get captured. But no, this is going to work a little bit differently. There are going to be seven medallions. Dario Cueto is going to start having these multi man affair matches and every time a medallion will be awarded to the victor. There may be different types of matches. I suspect there will be to keep some variety in this. So this could last six, seven, well at least six or seven weeks, but more like eight to sixteen weeks. This gives us a big overarching storyline because first all the medallions have to come out into play and then after that, it's Highlander rules, baby. We've got to unify all of the medallions. That's going to be so much fun. There's going to be intrigue and in all of these middle of the show matches, that second match in the show where we advance the plot most weeks. That's probably going to be a medallion match, which is going to have weight and significance. It's going going to be awesome because that elevates different characters so you can take a guy like son of havoc and in addition to being the trio's champion he can have a medallion and that gives him a little bit extra weight and what's really great about this is on the back side of this once someone finally when someone finally unifies all seven of the medallions as Dario Cueto tells his brother they're going to be more powerful than Matanza himself which is pretty impressive, and what Lucha Underground has done with this medallion deal is now you have a vehicle to elevate someone from the lower end of the card in the singles department to the top end of the card, actually, to credible challenger for the Lucha Underground title, and if you're going to follow Dario Cueto all the way down here, theoretically more powerful than Matanza himself, which would make you more powerful than Prince Puma, because... As we've noticed with Prince Puma, who I like, he's not necessarily booked super hella strong, he's booked as a valiant guy who overcomes the odds, but a lot of times has help and it seems like the events of things maybe are a little bit beyond Puma at times. So enough of that. One thing I want to note is that this is cool versus the Trios title, because the Trios title is cool, and I think it's great, and what it did is it did make Angelico, Ivelisse, and Son of Havoc more important than where they were before they won the Trios title, but there's no easy road to transition from the Trios title into being a credible challenger For the lucha underground title this medallion quest and the participants in the medallion quest will all be elevated to a higher single status we will become more familiar with them and ultimately whoever unifies will be a top of the card entity a quick temporal note it's been about four days since i recorded that opening monologue to when i'm speaking now and the reason it's been about four days is because for three of those four days i have been without internet because some nice fellow or some very shitty technician Decided that they wanted to jack around inside the Time Warner cable box outside my apartment and bend one of the key connecting cables at about a 90 degree angle, so that explains why I've been having really shitty internet service here. And my internet's running a hell of a lot faster now, and that makes my New Japan world experience a lot better. I'm enjoying it a hell of a lot. I want to apologize. I really wanted to have this episode out before the latest episode aired, but... That was just not going to happen, and I couldn't even get up to watch this new episode. I'm kind of watching this one pretty cold. This Jack Evans versus Aerostar match to open up the first show, really, really good. Um, Not as good upon repeat viewings as I thought it was initially, but very, very successful at establishing Jack Evans, and just an extremely effective use of the time, good work rate. Jack Evans comes out. He does this flashy handstanding entrance and establishes that he's the heel by crowd interacting because initially this crowd is excited and even thinks this is just going to be like a straight-up lucha contest. Jack Evans does a great job throughout this entire match By yelling at the crowd and saying, I am Lucha Libre, I'm the best, El Mejor Luchador, just being an insufferable prick, he makes sure the crowd hates him and stays behind Aerostar because there's always that danger of, one, we've seen a lot of fucking Aerostar at this point, and two, you want to cheer for the new guy because he's fresh. Evans establishes kicks early on and a little bit of control, Aerostar reverses, Evans' early control section by drop-kicking him in the back when Evans goes to kind of roll over. That looks really cool. Aerostar goes through the ropes, and this moves into an Aerostar kind of classic hallmark of his matches, which you're either on board with or you're not on board with. And I'll reserve value judgments because I feel like I waver either way depending on when I would watch the match. Aerostar goes through the ropes. He runs back up. Evans looks like he's going to go off the top turnbuckle. Aerostar catches Evans with one single punch, which apparently is such a devastating cross that it allows Aerostar to rope walk for a Hurricane Rana. As you can tell by the way I'm presenting this, this didn't quite do it for me, but it might do it for you, and this is also just comes with the territory of an Aerostar match, so either you're on board with it or you're not at this point. But I really felt like Aerostar shoehorned this sequence in particular. Evans does a really, really cool ring escape when he gets whipped into the corner. This allows Aerostar to hit Jack Evans with a somersault senton to the outside, and then Aerostar starts selling his leg. Vamp has a quick little quip about how both of these guys are exhibiting how they've been trained, and Vamp was trained by Homer Simpson. I thought that was funny. Evans does a great judo arm drag takedown. I just like these, and I think they're really cool when they're used in professional wrestling. He takes down Aerostar. There's a leg counter from Jack Evans that leads into an STF where Evans has it put on snug the right way John Cena on Aerostar. And then we have knees and a roundhouse kick. That looks awesome. Jack Evans does what Matt Stryker calls an ode to Blitzkrieg. I didn't quite see the move because the cameras cut away sort of at an odd time, so I'm not even going to attempt to name it. It's just Matt Stryker calls this an ode to Blitzkrieg. Jack Evans goes for a handspring elbow, which Aerostar dodges, but Jack Evans recovers to hit Aerostar with a German suplex, which was awesome, really great-looking sequence there. Evans gets arm dragged to the outside Aerostar does a flashy outside sequence where he just goes outside, gets himself in position on the outside Jack Evans goes for one of those reverse 619's that Dean Ambrose is making popular on WWE television his is a little slow, at least for my taste, and it's used to set up what is awesome, a very very cool 450 from the stands, this is great Jack Evans goes for a high spot he misses that high spot Aerostar starts try- trying to climb to the top rope, but his legs hurting, so he's sewing that leg as he's climbing. Evans goes up top, starts setting up Aerostar for what would be a super or superplex or something of that nature. Aerostar is able to counter that and hit a Canadian destroyer from the fucking top ropes for one of the cooler finishes. On lucha underground was the match as great as the finish no but boy when's the last time you saw a top rope canadian destroyer don't i I know you can probably name one and i can't you win all right you win point being great finish dangerous move though i don't need to see this happen all the time but i really enjoyed this match and it establishes jack evans in a great way Backstage, Big Rick is counting a mysterious wad of cash that he has come upon, and we don't know who gave it to him. But this is going to signal Big Rick's heel turn, and if you weren't sure about this, here comes the Mac, and he's asking for a little bit of cheddar, and he wants to know what's up from Big Rick. Big Rick says, hey, we haven't been winning any matches, and that's the whole reason we're here. We need to win matches and make money and you're more interested in going out and trying to make fans and show off some of your flashy moves, that's all well and good, but just know this, The Mac, I, Big Rick, for the right price, would even beat up a member of my own family. So, Big Rick, definitely going heel. I have a slight problem with this, and my problem with this is this. Big Rick turning face was because of his beef with Dario Queto and the crew. And his beef with Dario Cueto and the crew should be long-standing. Once you lose an eyeball, there's not coming back from that. It's not like you can ever become cool with Dario Cueto. So if the storyline ends up being, Dario Cueto has paid off Big Rick... I'm sorry, I don't really buy it. Now, if the storyline ends up being that Dario Cueto gives Big Rick a cybernetic eye, somehow I'm more on board with that. But that doesn't mean anything. That just means that I'm a guy who's willing to go on flights of fancy with this promotion at this point. Big Rick needs to stay a heel because of his oppositional positioning against Dario Queto. there just can't be an alliance between these two guys unless Dario Queto is leading some sort of grand deception on Big Rick and you want to play Big Rick off as stupid now at that point you're really damaging the character and we're moving into completely different territory my point being based off of this one scene is Big Rick's turning heel and for me it's a little bit early Boy, I've got a lot of notes for this next match, which is to be expected because this is a match with seven people in it, but this is the most notes I've written, I think, for anything on this show thus far, but will probably become a hallmark of every one of these matches. This is our first medallion scramble, and we begin by seeing... Five of the seven participants in the ring. Sexy Star makes her way to the ring, and so does the MAC. And then Stryker does a very nice job establishing the field of competition, listing off some individual accomplishments of each one of these luchadors, even if it was in a trios context, just making us feel like each one of these Competitors is of equal weight, and anyone can win this match, which is the reality. Any one of these people would be a perfect candidate to move up the card, and all of them could benefit from a win at this stage in the game. Very cool. Dario Cueto comes out, establishing, I think, more for our live audience than us, that this is for the medallion and that these medallions are important. Remember, the live audience doesn't get to see the Lucha Underground cool video packages until they watch it on TV like we do. It's not like they're getting shown in the studio there or inside of the temple. Dario Queto makes some reference to immortality. Is this just like immortality fame-wise, or is this like immortality, immortality? Unclear. Remember, this is the promotion where people can turn into dragons, and it's totally plausible, and where I can expect a cybernetic eye storyline, and hopefully lasers. No, not lasers. I don't want lasers. Anyways, let's get into our field. <clears throat> getting a little hoarse in my throat here. Let's get into the field. Our field is cage Querno, Killshot, The Mac, Pentagon, Phoenix, and I almost forgot her when I was writing this down, which is, I think, a secret mental block for myself, Sexy Star. I'm really done with her. I'm sorry. And for those of you who like Sexy Star, I would like you to hit me up on Twitter at chris n-o-v-e-m-b-r-i-n-o if, if the sexy star character is working from you, for you I want to hear from you I'm not going to make fun of you we're not going to get into some heated debate I want to understand what it is that's working for her and kind of get a better sense of where you're at as like a fan and what you like from the product again this is not going to be done in a mocking way I just want to get it because I, I, I just don't fucking get it with this girl so we start off the match and the ring clears, leaving Pentagon and Phoenix. Phoenix goes for the top rope and hits a missile drop kick to Pentagon. Then Pentagon counters with a sling blade Tanahashi style clothesline. Or wait, I've got that. No, I've got that the right way. Yeah, Pentagon does it. Then there's a tornado DDT from Pentagon. Phoenix has a Hurricane Rana through the ropes on Pentagon. King Cuerno shows up, hits a swift kick on Phoenix and this opens up the ring for Cuerno and Killshot to face off with uh, Sexy and Phoenix we see a little shot of them just chilling on the outside this is going to be sort of a problem with these matches there's a lot of one-on-one that happens inside of each one of these matches and what happens is the other five luchadors all kind of feebly hang out outside and try not to be seen by the cameras to varying degrees of success Cage has the rest hold of death applied on the mac i i, I love this because mac is selling this like he's dying it, you know k just got a buffalo sleeper looking type rest hold on the mac and they're both just laying up against the apron we know they're catching a breather but at least they're trying right sexy star eventually does a hurricane Rana from the top Killshot shot comes in with a slow motion spin kick. We have Cage and Cuerno. They hit a 619, a tandem 619 on kill shot after Cuerno does a drop toe hold, setting up kill shot on the ropes for Cage to come off the ropes and do the 619. Mac hits a Yakuza kick on Cage. Cuerno is able to capitalize after Mac is slightly open after hitting the Yakuza kick on Cage. Cage and Cuerno do a double suplex on Killshot and the MAC and that leads to a tandem spot from the top ropes where Cage and Cuerno ascend and King Cuerno does a splash while Cage does an elbow drop leading to a near fall. These guys are doing these tandem pinfalls and it's kind of weird. It's not like they can both win the medallion. I, I don't really understand the logic with that spot in this match. Phoenix and Sexy come in to break up the pinfall. Again, Striker, Vampiro, probably should be bringing this up, but I think, if anything, commentary wanted to move by this because this spot doesn't make a lot of sense in a match that's about singles accolades. Not to be confused with Rusev accolades. Sexy gets a big lariat from Cage. That was cool. Mac hits a Shining Wizard on Cage. Also cool. Pentagon does a super kick to Phoenix. Killshot hits a super kick to Pentagon. Killshot and the Mac double team Phoenix and Pentagon in the corners until this gets reversed by Pentagon and Phoenix, who do a tandem double stomp out of a Tree of Woe spot. So Killshot and Mac get tangled up in the corners, leading to them being set up in the Tree of Woe. Phoenix and Pentagon ascend to the top ropes, hit a double stomp. And then run at each other, because remember, Phoenix and Pentagon don't like each other. Hit a double clothesline, leading to a double down. This is broken up by Cuerno and Cage, who come in again and do a tandem double cover on the double down, Pentagon and Phoenix. This is broken up by Sexy. This leads to silliness involving Sexy Star versus C&C body slam factory music factory ah, I don't even like that joke as it's coming out of my mouth this is broken up by a crossbody from Pentagon there is Cage and he hits his sit out pump handle face buster on Mac so that's cool that leads to a near fall there's a corkscrew plancher from Phoenix to Cage as Phoenix rolls off this leads to a 450 by kill shot onto Phoenix and then Quinquero comes in and hits the throw of the hunt on kill shot. That's again broken up by sexy. We're getting a lot of interaction between sexy star and CNC body slam factory. Why did I go back to that joke? I hate myself and I denounce and reject myself immediately after doing so. Pentagon does his pump handle the sexy, and he does that pump handle sit out driver that he looks very good when he does it. And then the Mac comes in, hits a Samoan drop on Cage, kips up, and does a standing moonsault for a near fall, which is broken up. Pentagon and Phoenix uh, have an encounter, leading to a corkscrew crossbody from Phoenix onto Pentagon. Cage does a discus clothesline to the Mac, to the outside, this leads to a suicide dive spot where Phoenix goes for a suicide dive, gets caught by Cage, who holds him up for a suplex, and then Killshot comes outside and does a crossbody. King Cuerno does his arrow spot, the big suicide dive with Flourish to Killshot. Sexy, Penty, and Phoenix are left in the ring. There is a double spot by Pentagon Jr. where he sets up Phoenix for the package pile driver and catches Sexy Star in a neckbreaker style move whose name I know totally eludes me as I'm recording this. Pentagon gets the arm death spot on Phoenix, but this gets broken up by Sexy Star, who, for her troubles, because no good deed goes unpunished, she receives a gorilla press gutbuster by Pentagon, which looks brutal and makes Pentagon look like a monster. Phoenix comes from behind, grabs Pentagon Jr., hits him with a reverse Hurricane Rana that looks really, really nasty, and then stands up and hits. Pentagon Jr. with a standing moonsault and gets the pinfall victory over Pentagon Jr. to become your first medallion winner. One thing I wanted to say about this style of matchup that I hadn't even considered when we were discussing the medallions earlier is that if you're going to do championship scrambles, this is even better for the talent because we're not going to be so focused on who took the loss unless creative decides that that's where they want to focus on. We're going to focus more on who are our medallion winners. So you're protecting the person who takes the pinfall because they're not an important part of the storyline. What's important is who wins the medal and the only way... It would matter who lost in that match as if creative and storytelling chooses to focus on that. Dario Cueto is in his office with everyone's favorite dysfunctional team and tells Son of Havoc, Evilise, and Angelico that since Son of Havoc and Angelico lost last week, next week they are going to have to defend their trios titles in a ladder match against the crew even with Evilise's bum ankle. Although the team doesn't agree on much and they're always squabbling about all sorts of different shit, they all agree on one thing, we fight. This is kind of becoming their tagline. So next week we will see the trio's titles defended against the crew. After that, we get a very interesting cutscene with Katrina. Now, with Phoenix, I've had a broader issue of the in-ring Storytelling doesn't necessarily match the backstage storytelling or the backstage story isn't in line with the narrative happening in the ring because you shoot the cutscenes at a different time than when you're doing the in-ring stuff. There's just certain continuity issues in the storytelling with him that doesn't seem to be there with other characters, and I'm, I would be interested to know deeper why that is, if that was stylistic or if that is just sort of a limitation due to production. Either way, we're starting to get some advancement now with Phoenix again, and we're certainly getting back on track with him. And now you as a viewer, I as a viewer, know how to feel about this guy again because he was sort of in this murky gray area. Katrina shows up and tells Phoenix that, hey, guess what? You were a hapless dupe. Mil Muertes took your power, so now he's going to come back and he's going to be even stronger because the man of a thousand deaths got the power of the man of a thousand lives. I don't know what that means. I feel like that would cancel itself out. It doesn't really matter. But Mil Muertes is back, and he's stronger than ever. This is interesting from a booking standpoint, because Phoenix of course went through that brutal Grave Consequences match that I was sort of down on, but I wouldn't blame you for being very up on that match because it was a good match for that style. I just wasn't super into it. The one thing we got out of that that's really interesting is both characters got built stronger out of that match. That's good booking. So Phoenix gets this big win over Mil Muertes, but because of the way you're doing the backstage storytelling, Mil Muertes is back, and once Katrina says he's stronger than ever, because of the previous way he was booked, it's not hard to imagine how strong he should be upon his return, provided the storytelling keeps up with that instant delivery, instant payoff. I can't wait to see Mil Muertes Mach 2. I also am very, very intrigued by this trio of skeletal luchadors who appear ethereally on top of the lockers and sort of descend upon phoenix our main event not a barn burner it begins with alberto El Patron and hernandez locking up in a collar and elbow tie-up Alberto Alpatron gains control and gets a clean break after Hernandez backs himself into a corner. Next, Hernandez gains control and this time Alberto Alpatron finds himself in the corner. Marty Elias makes the break. Hernandez and Alberto El Patron go to lock hand-in-hand. Hand. Hernandez takes advantage and hits a cheap kick that begins the Hernandez control section. Alberto El Patron hits his shoulder on the ring post, goes to the outside. Hernandez goes outside and starts running Alberto El Patron into the apron, working the back. Alberto Alpatrone ends the control section when he dodges a corner splash from Hernandez. He hits a backstabber, and that leads to a near fall. He misses the first super kick attempt. Hernandez gets a kneeling, he does his Dominator style like Farouk used to do with the Nation of Domination or Ron Simmons or, you know, or used to do in the APA. You know who I'm fucking talking about. He gets him up in the Dominator, only instead of throwing him down the Dominator, he kneels down doing a backbreaker style move. Next, Alberto Alpatrone hits a super kick. This leads to a near fall. At this point, Alberto Alpatrone calls for the arm bar. Out comes Johnny Mundo. Johnny Mundo starts attacking Alberto Alpatrone to loud booze. Alberto El Patron gets thrown through the window of Dario Cueto's office. Dario Cueto is very amused by this and makes himself a drink. He was probably just doing a line of blow, and so this is really sweet. Shit just got real, real for him real fast. Hernandez gets the pin after Johnny Mundo rolls Alberto El Patron in the ring. And Alberto Alpatron is selling this like bloody murder with medical attendants coming there and tending to Alberto Alpatron's Patron's wounds. And the crowd chanting, why Johnny, why? And Johnny Mundo saying, this is his world. So I guess we're going to try Johnny Mundo as a heel. I don't know that we got enough of a dynamic between Prince Puma and Johnny Mundo. And it's going to be weird to see how this gets addressed. Is Johnny Mundo just going to immediately start being a dick to Prince Puma? And then that makes Conan write about all that shit this whole time. And it's just, it's weird. So the Johnny Mundo turn, I kind of have reservations about. Also, I think there's a case for keeping Alberto El Patron as this, like, flair-like tweener. Where he's there for the gold, and he's cocky, and he's got money, and he's not necessarily... A bad guy but he is a dick and he knows he's a winner and everyone hates a winner who knows he's a winner who's happy to rub that in your face and I liked that gray area that Alberto was occupying although I also understand the case for making him a solid baby face so that you don't have undesired reactions if you have an Alberto Al Patron Prince Puma matchup it will be okay for the crowd to be cheering for Alberto Al Patron. Whereas if you tried to book Alberto El Al Patron as the heel in that kind of matchup, especially the solid heel, if the crowd live was not giving you what you wanted, you'd have a real disaster on your hands. Not just like with Pentagon, where you can already see in this episode, the crowd was kind of enjoying Pentagon getting his revenge on Sexy Star. That's not good. That is not good plot advancement. So there's a case for making Alberto El Patron a solid baby face. This way you're controlling the reaction. I see it either way. Personal taste. I liked him a little bit more as a tweener. But here we are. Johnny Mundo's a heel. I'm not crazy about that. Alberto's a baby face. And we're moving on to our next episode. Our May 20th episode begins with Matt Stryker attempting to do an L and a U with his hands, but it's backwards, so he's embarrassed, and we go to the ring. Mari the Moth, he is standing behind Melissa Santos as she introduces him. He claims to be Aztec, as Matt Stryker tells us, but if you don't believe Matt Stryker, you can also see it on his shirt. It says Aztec Pride. Now coming to the ring is someone who actually is Aztec in our storyline, and that is Prince Puma. Marty the Moth seems to be kind of a weird opponent for Prince Puma, but it makes sense when you remember that Marty the Moth was talking about how much he loves Prince Puma. You can almost see in your head Dario Cueto telling Marty, okay, you like Prince Puma so much, why don't you have a match against Prince Puma? Dario Cueto would assume that, of course, Mario the Moth is going to get his ass handed to him, but if, for some reason, Mario the Moth surprised Dario Cueto and beat the shit out of Prince Puma, hey, that's not a problem for Dario Cueto. Dario Cueto's never been that big of a Prince Puma fan. Prince Puma arrives in the ring, and Marty gets excited. He's clapping. He's trying to appeal to the fans. He even wants to take his photo with Prince Puma. Now, I think Prince Puma looks a little putsy, After he goes for the handshake and he gets, you know, hugged by Mario the Moth, like the handshake makes sense. Prince Puma's a nice guy and he's always been a little bit naive and a little bit hapless. And, you know, if a guy seems legitimately excited to see him, Prince Puma's not going to deny him that. But Mario the Moth hugging him and Conan going, hey, come on, let's get into this. And then Puma's still going along with it and he's waiting a while to get this photo. It makes Puma sort of look like a goob and I didn't like it. Mario the Moth has great facials through this, so he's very, very excited. And then when he's got his arm around in their position to the quote-unquote final camera, Mario the Moth's face turns, you know, from happy to I'm going to kick your ass. And then he clotheslines Prince Puma with a cheap shot. We then see Mario the Moth's style kind of on display throughout this match. And I like the style for the character. You may not think much of the work per se, but I think it makes sense, right? Mario the Moth is a guy who's never wrestled before. But he's also someone who thinks he's hot shit. He thinks, you know, his spirit animal's the fucking moth and we should care about that. This is a guy who's got an overinflated sense of importance. So he's gonna do sloppy moves and he's also going to go for moves that he shouldn't be going for because Mario the Moth wants to get our love and get our affection. We should probably like him and we see this right at the beginning of the match. There's sloppy working punches from Mario the Moth. He does a kip up at one point and that's both sloppy and gratuitously flashy. Mario the Moth gets a drop kick which looks pretty good and then Prince Puma turns the tables on him with a springboard shining wizard from the second rope. Striker mentions that Puma Puma has a fan favorite style which I just I don't like that coming out of a commentator's mouth and then Marty gets another big clothesline on Prince Puma he goes for the cover Marty gets up he showboats as he's climbing to the top ropes and then misses the moonsault Prince Puma gets a spinning kick hits him with the blue thunder bomb and then he does his 630 off the top rope to win this match This is all really a setup for Hernandez to show up. Hernandez shows up and then Conan gets on the mic, does some talking, says, you know, if you want to have this match right now, Hernandez, we can have this match. But Hernandez doesn't want to have this match this week, so we're not going to have this match this week. Stryker mentions on commentary that the way Lucha Underground works is that the number one contender can have a match with their opponent anytime they want. I thought that was an interesting twist. It's almost like money in the bank or something. Next, we have an interview between Vampiro and Johnny Mundo, and we begin to see some of the character development in Johnny Mundo. I like this twist in his character, which is that Johnny Mundo still cares about us thinking that he's a cool guy. He's not some sort of heel who doesn't care what the fan reaction to him is. He is a guy who wants us to think that he's hot shit, and he came here to Lucha Underground to prove that he's the best. That's his response to Vampiro the first time. Vampiro asks him, hey, why did you do this? Vampiro does a nice job in this interview sort of staying on point, and I like the way this interview is written or scripted. Vampiro goes, look, why did you do it? Johnny Mundo says, I made a statement, which, again, doesn't answer the question. Vampiro then cites his history in the business and says, I think that you got overlooked. Are you jealous of Alberto Alpatrone? Johnny Mundo says that Alberto is overpaid, overconfident, and overrated. And Alberto Alpatrone forced his hand. Again, this goes back to Johnny Mundo wanting us to think that he's cool. Johnny Mundo then says that he's not some guy in catering that can be slapped around, which is, again, a reference to the incident in WWE. And then he says that he's here because he wanted to be. And Alberto El Patron is here because he had nowhere else to go. He ends the interview by saying, this is his world, but you already knew that. And then does the Alberto El Patron wink into the camera. And I can't believe that Johnny Mundo has stolen Alberto El Patron's winking power. That is obscene. Dario Queto is in his office, and he tells the crew that the Aztec gods used to demand human sacrifice and tonight, so does he and If the crew is unable to sacrifice Evolili, son of havoc and Angelico, they're going to be the sacrifice to someone I wonder who Muertes. Mm-hmm. Devar divari is in the ring with his Johnny Walker and Tejano comes to the ring and this is going to be our next match between these two and this one is going to be a longer version of the last match that these two had also ending in a disqualification but this match is a little bit different it's about concretely establishing Tejano as the babyface in this feud and Matt Stryker and Vampiro are working overtime on commentary to make sure you get that, they're hitting you over the head with the Joe Lanza subtlety hammer but Tejano is also doing work inside the ring here that's a little bit more subtle either way we are definitely going to leave this match with the desired effect of thinking Tejano is the good guy in this feud which is sort of how I felt in the initial encounter, but you could see it either way. Delvar Divari had to take it to a certain level with his character, and Tejano also had to change his character a little bit, because remember, he was the last guy feuding with now a concrete baby face Alberto El Al Patron. So you have to make sure that Tejano gets a little bit extra love so that we like him as well. Matt Stryker highlights Tejano's blue-collar nature, how he is a no-nonsense guy who has an aggressive style that fans like, and that he was born into a family of wrestling. Whereas Vampiro highlights that Davari was a guy who was born into privilege. He's a guy who uses his money to get what he wants. That'll come into play a little bit later on here. Davari gets the early control after he bails out of the ring, and Tejano starts chasing him. Davari slides back into the ring, gets a cheap shot on Tejano, and gets. The upper hand for a second until Tejano turns the tables on him. And the clear thing in this early sequence is that we see that Tejano is someone who completely overmatches Davari. So Davari is going to need to do cheap things in order to win this feud that further establishes who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. Because the outcome that should happen in our minds is that Tejano should just be able to overcome this guy. Davari gains control after cheap shotting off of a ref break. So Tejano is now following the rules. He's listening to what the refs say. We're really seeing a new side of Tejano here. And then Davari starts working the shoulder and the arm of Tejano for a bit. I don't know to what effect because the next thing that happens of note is Tejano getting a superplex off of the top ropes for a double down. They both get up and then there's an exchange of blows in the center of the ring Again, Tejano gets the upper hand off of that exchange of blows, establishing that all things being equal, Tejano should be overcoming. And then Divari gets a low, kind of enziguri-like kick to Tejano's back, he goes down. Tejano comes back. He gets a leg lariat for a two count. Stryker really gets into the fact that the crowd is getting behind the Tejano turn, which is also kind of code for us, the audience, to start getting behind the Tejano turn. And then Davari hits multiple German suplexes, but that's stopped by Tejano, who gets a code breaker. So for everything that Davari throws at Tejano, Tejano has an answer for that. That gets a near fall for Tejano. And then at that point, Big Rick interferes. He starts attacking Tejano. Davari does a top rope Hurricane Rana and then demands that the referee counts as Davari holds his Johnny Walker in the air and celebrates his quote unquote pinfall over Tejano. Big Rick gets you sold out, Chance. Big Rick does the money flash thing, but shows a little bit of anxiety on his face, a little bit of nuance from the former Ezekiel Jackson. Dario Cueto is in his office when Katrina descends upon him, going first for his key to Matanza's cell, which frightens Dario Cueto, and then she tells Dario Cueto that Mil Muertes wants a sacrifice. Well, hey, guess what? Dario Cueto might know three guys who need some sacrificing after tonight. And then she also says that Mil Muertes wants Phoenix in a death match next week. This confuses, excites, and arouses Dario Cueto, who agrees. El Dragon Azteca is reading the note that Black Lotus has left him, which says, thanks for all that you've done, but I got to go. I got to go kill Matanza. This is very much like the Luke and Yoda sequence from Empire Strikes Back. And then, unlike Empire Strikes Back, Chavo Guerrero appears, and he says that he can protect her. Next, Chavo Guerrero and Dragon Azteca talk. He says that their families and the Cuetos have a long history in this business. One of blood. And, oh, Dragon Azteca says, yeah, your family's also got a long history of being a bunch of cheaters. And Chavo says, yeah, that may be true, but we care about family. And here's the deal. I got this debt that all of Mexico wants me to repay, and they're going to come after me and my family. And if you can get rid of that debt because you've got all this credibility, El Dragon Azteca, I will protect Black Lotus. After El Dragon Azteca reluctantly agrees to the terms of Chavo's negotiation, the crew, Son of Havoc, Angelico, and Evilise meet in a ladders match for the trio's titles. The crew arrive in the ring and receive the You Still Suck chance. And then as Evilise, Angelico, and Son of Havoc make their way to the ring, get the jump on the trio, and start isolating and brawling on the outside. Son of Havoc isolates Cortez Castro in the ring for a little while, and then we see Bale, and he attacks Ivelisse. This gets major heat. Son of Havoc is attacked as he goes outside to get the ladder, by two members of the crew, and then Angelico, while those two members of the crew are holding the ladder, does a somersault onto the ladder, knocking down two members of the crew. Then Mr. Sisko does a kind of sort of baseball slide through the middle ropes, hitting either Angelico or Son of Havoc, knocking them down. Angelico gets back into the ring and does his spring off of the first rope knee. It's sort of a big striding knee strike that he does. Commentary always puts it over as quote-unquote gazelle-like. Angelico is holding his own against all three members of the crew, but he is outnumbered, and eventually he receives their little trio corner spot that they call the treatment, where they all kind of slide across his face. There's a chair shot to a ladder, which is straddled into Angelico's nuts, Mr. Cisco starts choking Angelico on the outside, and then Son of Havoc is isolated on the inside. However, Son of Havoc gets a flurry of moves, starting with a drop toehold onto a ladder positioned in the corner on Bale, a trip and a moonsault to Mr. Cisco, a backdrop backbreaker to Cortez Castro, and then a back body drop onto a ladder to Bale. Son of Havoc Grabs the ladder, but he's stopped, and then there's a little miscue between Mr. Cisco and Cortez Castro with this double stomp DDT. It looks like Cortez Castro goes around Son of Havoc, kind of like The Rock used to do, grabbing one arm, ending up on the other side, and having them in the front headlock. And when he got there, he was anticipating Mr. Cisco was going to be on the ladder. So was Cortez Castro early or was Mr. Cisco late? I don't know, but it did seem like there was just a little bit of a timing issue there. The actual spot looked fine. Then Angelico gets in. He gets knocked outside of the ring and gets hit with some of the boards covering Dario Cueto's office. Mr. Cisco gets dumped inside of Dario Cueto's office off of a ladder, and Bale gets set up on a table. Cortez Castro grabs a kendo stick and starts hitting. Angelico on top of the office. Son of Havoc gets hit with a suicide dive by Mr. Sisko from the office, and then the crew all get into the ring, and they move into what Matt Stryker typifies as quote-unquote playing defense, but what's weird about this spot is you're watching them, and you're like, well, why doesn't one of you go up the fucking ladder? You have Angelico, he's now stuck on top of Dario Cueto's office, and Son of Havoc is left with East there, but we don't see her for a long stretch of time in this match. After Bale attacks her in the first little section of the match, that's it. And this is, of course, because Elise is actually hurt, and that's fine. It's just, psychologically, it would make all the sense in the world for the crew to be trying to climb this ladder right now, and no one's climbing the ladder. Son of Havoc comes in, he makes the save, he rallies against the three members of the crew, and actually, a member of the crew then... After Son of Havoc starts getting the upper hand, decides to start climbing the ladder, he gets dumped from the ladder. Son of Havoc starts trying to climb the ladder himself. He gets dumped from the ladder, lands on the second rope, and does a springboard moonsault. He then does a clothesline to Mr. Cisco. There are chair shots to Bale and Cortez Castro. And then he sets up for a shooting star press through a table. And when he does this shooting star press through the table... The table does not break. It appears that he came up short and got a whole bunch of his face. Son of Havoc's on the ground. He is talking to a referee. Both have their mouths covered. Not good. Commentary even plays this up as a botch or as, well, you know, when things go wrong, the move doesn't just hurt your opponent. It hurts you yourself. And this really takes Son of Havoc out of the action. So Cortez Castro's now alone. He sets up the ladder. He's climbing the ladder. But Angelico does a crazy and awesome-looking dropkick from the office. This is to pair up with his crossbody from the office. This was actually way cooler. I loved this spot. This looked great. And then Ivelisse comes in, and she climbs the ladder with Mr. Sisko, being unable to stop a gimpy Ivelisse from getting to the top of the ladder. That last spot was a little silly. I can see why you want to have Ivelisse involved, but really if she just hit someone with a crutch and then Angelico got to the top of the ladder, that probably would have worked a little bit better within my bounds of reason. However, this is a good match. It's just, you know, the crew, they're boring. There's not much to any of their matches. This was exciting, and it does advance the plot. And next week, we're going to see the crew and there, or soon enough, we're going to see the crew, and they're going to get their ass handed to them by, I'm assuming, Mil Muertes. So I'm looking forward to that. And we will talk about that and so many other things on the next episode of Lucha of the Hidden Temple. My name is Chris Novembrino. I want to thank you for listening. You can hit me up on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V-E-M-B-R-I-N-O. That's Chris Novembrino, Dr. Nove. You can go to VoicesOfWrestling.com for continuing coverage on Lucha Underground and every other great promotion that's out there, including WWE, New Japan, TNA, for however long they're around. Man, I'm so glad I'm not covering them anymore, although, to be completely honest, I quit doing the TNA podcast because I knew that they were not going to last on Destination America. There, there was just no way. They weren't going to have any visibility. And that's pretty much what happened. I never would have seen coming that they would have had yet another email snafu. But that's another story for another day. Suffice it to say, I'm very glad to be covering Lucha Underground instead of TNA. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until the next one, cheers. Interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon on Total Engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.